I'm covered in blood. I go upstairs, go in the bathroom to like clean up. Meanwhile, he's going on. Hey everyone, this is Canyon. That was a snippet from our upcoming conversation here with Mikey Richardson. It was a really good one. Hope you guys enjoy the stories that were told. Our next episode is coming in about two weeks, so make sure you stay tuned. Thanks. All right, welcome everybody to the Bermuda Collective podcast. Um, my name is Canyon, and I'm here with Brady. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, Mikey here, and he's a part of Temple Mill. Check his company out. Yeah. Uh, we're here to talk with him and have that conversation about facing the unknown and get to know his personal experiences with it and then also um, know what we can all do to prepare for the next time that that fear hits and how we can face the, the unknown altogether. So, um, yeah, we'll just get to know Mikey a little bit and yeah. then we'll hop right into it. Dope. Yeah, so Mikey, tell us, like, who are you really and like, where do you come from? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Mike Ritchie. I'm the co-founder of Temple Mill. We've kind of known each other for a while. Like, I went to a local high school, Tip View, for like a year, but then after I went to a, a school called UCAS at UVU. It's like an early college type program where like when I graduate, I'd get an associate's degree. And what was cool about that is like I all of a sudden got access to all of UVU's resources. So I started shooting photos. I just like wanted to get involved with photography. I was just doing it for fun at that point. And I uh, reached out to the UVU Review, which is like the newspaper. I was like, yo, let me uh, shoot photos. And they had a really small team and I just started shooting photos with them. I was maybe like 16, I guess. And going to like events and they were like putting my photos, like printing it in the paper for the school. And that was kind of like my first time realizing that I could pursue like a creative passion. Because growing up, like, I've always been really into, like, music, art, all that stuff. But I wanted to be, like, an orthopedic surgeon or, like, some, like, BS, like, job that they tell you that you want to be. Uh-huh. And so I started doing photo and video through, like, skateboarding, skiing, like, my friends, photo shoots, that kind of stuff. And after I graduated, I was like, yo, I really want to go to New York. <laughs> because I had never really been east of, like... Illinois, like when I did like a family road trip to like Nauvoo when I was younger, and like <laughs> Mississippi and that stuff. Yeah. But I'd never been to New York. And I had like vivid dreams of New York growing up. Huh. Kind of like strange. Like I, I had, there's like one specific one where like the city's like tilting and it's like going underwater. <laughs> and as the city tilts, like the telephone poles are tilting and I'm like holding on, <laughs> hanging on that's the telephone sick. poles. That's and a good it, album cover. That, that's a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> so I was just like, yo, I want to go to New York and take photos. Like, that's like a photographer's dream. And so my couple homies um, and then my uncle and my grandpa, and we just went out there, no plan. Like, it wasn't like I, had, I knew anyone. There was no opportunities. Um, my homie Cal had moved out there maybe like a couple months before to uh, work with this entrepreneur. So I was kind of aware of like what he was doing, but I wasn't going out there to meet up with him or anything like that. It was also like around my birthday. So it was like a birthday trip. There was a Bourne's concert, which was like super dope. And when I got out to New York on this trip, uh, Cal hits me up. He's like, yo, uh, this guy I'm working with is trying to build a personal brand. I know that you take dope photos. Let's link and do a shoot. I'm like, all right. Like, I didn't really think any... I was like, it's just another shoot, you know? Mm-hmm. 
And little did I know that this would be like the shoot that literally changed my entire life. <laughs> changed everything for me. I mean, this trip is what like really started my career. And so I met Gerard. His name is Gerard. We did a photo shoot. And it was like in like southern Manhattan near this area called the High Rise, which is like over by, uh, kind of by the water, like the Chelsea Piers area. And the photos came out dope. You know, like that's kind of one thing that I've, uh, I feel like the most confident in my photo taking abilities. Like there's, there's no person or no environment where I feel like I would be, I guess like that I couldn't get the shot. So I just like crushed the shoot and um, just was like being myself, you know, like when you're around like a famous person or like a celebrity or whatever, they don't want you to be like fanboying or like freaking out. They want to feel normal. So yeah. you got to act normal and treat them normal. And so I was just like, you know, I don't care if this dude sold his business for $50 million or whatever. Like, I'm not going to kiss up to him. I'm just going to like be me, take photos, and like I'm out here on a trip. So afterwards, uh, we met back at this hotel called the Dream Hotel. And it was like Gerard, his girlfriend, and then like his jeweler comes and meets up. And he's like fitting him for jewelry <laughs> while we're there. Uh, and... Then I, like, left, like, went back to Utah and didn't really, like, think anything of it. It was just like, okay, that trip was dope, whatever. And then Gerard hit me up. He called me and he was like, yo, what would it take for you to, like, move out here and, like, be my camera dude? Like, work with me. And I was like, I just bought a new Subi. I have my girlfriend. <laughs> I was still debating if I wanted to go back to school because I already had an associate. So I could just, like jump into a bachelor's program without having to do any generals. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and also, of course, like, uh, at that time, like, the pressure of, like, going on a mission, my family. Of course, they don't want me to, like, move to New York with this random guy <laughs> yeah. who wants me to follow him with a camera. <laughs> yeah. Especially because, like, when I first met him, I was, like, 17. It was, like, right before I turned 18. And he's, like, I mean, he was, like, 32 at the time. So he's, like, a younger guy. But he's still, still older. You older know? than you. So he was like, all right, how about I fly you out? I'll pay for everything. And you can look at it as like a vacation. I want to show you what I'm doing. And if you like it, you got a job. If you don't, whatever. It's a free trip. We can be boys. I'm like, all right. All I had to lose really was I had to quit my job. And I was working. I was a chef at uh, Station 22 on Center Street. Okay. <laughs> That's how I was kind of like bringing in the dough, aside from photography. Okay. So I quit my job. I went out there and it was like immediately I knew I was like, I have to jump on this opportunity. Like, even though like this is the scariest thing I've ever experienced. This is like so far out of my comfort zone. Like, uh -huh. this, I'm just like little Provo boy, you know, like now I'm like traveling with millionaire entrepreneurs. I'm being introduced to all these different people. Yeah. And so he had his personal brands. We were creating like a series called Leaders Create Leaders. Okay. Where we would like interview entrepreneurs, billionaires, celebrities. Um, and then he also had a, something called an incubator, a startup incubator. Okay. Yeah. Where startup founders would come in and they would go through what's called a, co a cohort that theirs was titled Seed to Scale. And it's like a 12-week program where all these entrepreneurs are in the same space and Gerard will bring in his connections to like speak, like people like Tom Bilyeu, who's the founder of Quest Nutrition or, um, I don't know, just like random right. people. Mm -hmm. um, and so being in that environment, you know, I was 
really just the camera guy. Like, I wasn't part of the cohort as, like, a startup. I was, like, working for... Uh, I was, like, part of the team. Right. And at this same time, this other dude from Pennsylvania got connected with Gerard uh, from another guy that worked there named Brian Donovan because we were looking to, like, build a media team. So Brian knew this dude named Truman from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which is, like, Lancaster to the Amish is what Provo is to the Mormons. Okay. It's, like, the headquarter of the Amish. Oh, okay, okay. Like, if you go to Lancaster, you will see, like, horse and buggies, <laughs> Amish people walking around. Really? It's, like, legit. Wow. So, Truman was going to college. He had one semester left of college. And he had met this guy, Brian Donovan, at a Ty Lopez conference. <laughs> it's, like, kind of... Truman, like, had his priorities right, but he didn't necessarily know, like, what leap he needed to make to, like get to his dreams. Right. So he also got this opportunity to like come up to Newark, New Jersey, which is like, there's like Manhattan, then there's the Hudson River, and you go through it, and then there's New Jersey right there. Like when I moved out there, I didn't know the diff- like where New Jersey was compared to New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and Newark specifically is like the hood. Like we, like we're living in the hood, straight up. Okay. And... That's also part of, like, facing the unknown that was, like, such culture shock is, like, you know, I grew up in a home. My dad was, a, my dad's a cop. My, I've got four brothers, a sister, like, and now I'm living in the hood with, in, like, a trap house with, like, ten other homies. And, um, so Truman moves up to New York, Newark, New Jersey. It's kind of confused, like, Newark, New York, they sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, locals when they see it, it's, like, hard to tell the difference. Um... And Truman and I, you know, we met and, like, honestly, like, really kicked it off. Like, we became just, like, a team. Like, him and I were executing everything together. Like, we would do vlogs. Uh, There was a period of, like, a couple months where I was just, like, only editing Instagram stories. Like, when Instagram stories were brand new. Okay. And we would just follow this dude with the camera, travel around, and, like, film stuff. And I don't don't want to go too much into detail, but after about a year and a half of doing that, Truman and I... One, we had, like, realized that we're homies. Like, we, like, really got along well. Because Truman growing up was really into, like, scootering. But not, like, like real good scootering. Oh, like... He has a YouTube channel that, when he was younger, he was getting, like, hundreds of thousands of views. No on way. his scooter videos. Doing, like, you know, how to tail whip, how to bri flip. And when we were living in uh, New Jersey, we would always go to this skate park in Hoboken... Okay. Which is like on the edge of the Hudson River on the New Jersey side. Okay. But what you don't think about is like when you're in Manhattan, you don't really see the skyline, you know? You have to get out of the city to be able to see it. So usually the areas that have the best view of the city are like Brooklyn or like Jersey, like Hoboken, because it's away so you can see the skyline. And there was this super dope skate park that had like two half pipes, one was like a six foot ramp. And then there was, like, a three-foot gap and then, like, a three-foot ramp. Okay. And I'm, like, filming Truman. And he jump, he, he jump, drops in from one side of the six-foot ramp, goes off the edge, hits a triple tail whip over the gap, and lands in the smaller half-pipe. <laughs> Rides in. <laughs> lands it. You're joking. I was, like, I seriously was, like, so blown away when I, like, realized how good he was at, at scootering. Like, he's, like, legit, like, could be pro. And he still is really good. Like, we'll hit spots, and he has, he slays it. That's so, so funny. So we just, like, kicked it off really well. And he's a little bit older than me and has a similar, 
perspective, but in a different way. Like, he has really... He comes from a really religious area, but just different. Right. And so we had a lot of similarities, and um, we actually started our first, like, business together. It was a fingerboard company called Slappy Fingerboards, (laughs) because we were just, like, trying to make a little bit more money than what we were already making. We were like, okay, let's keep doing the Gerard thing, but we need to make more money. Yeah. And so we started this little brand of just, like, little fingerboards, and it was, like, Like Mac decks. Uh, they're like wood fingerboards, and the oh. wheels have little bearings in them. So it's like a step up from a tech deck. Okay. And we realized after starting this brand that, like, you know, we couldn't work together really well together. Like, we had a YouTube channel. Some of our videos were getting, like, a couple thousand views of us just, like, fingerboarding in Walmart. <laughs> trying oh, to okay. Get the niche. Uh-huh. And um, we eventually were just like, yo, what, why are we just limiting ourselves to helping this one guy, Gerard? Let's start a business. Let's not call it Mike and Truman. Let's call it something else so we can help more people. Mm-hmm. Because we've developed like a signature style. You know, like as you go down your creative path, which you can relate to, like just looking at your clothes, mm-hmm. it's like your own style. And every artist gets influenced from different places. Right. But over time, based on meshing those different influences, you develop your own style. Yeah. And so we were like, you know what? If it's just Mike and Truman, we're going to be limited to five or six clients max. And we're going to be pooped. We're going to be worked out completely. But if we can turn it into a brand and get people to associate that style with the brand rather than with our names, then we can hire team members. We can scale. Yeah. And so we decided we're going to move out of uh, New Jersey. And we moved to – we drove across the country – Moved to Calabasas, California, a little area called Hidden Hills where Kanye West lives, The Weeknd, Kim Kardashian. Because <laughs> one of our homies that we were working with uh, was just like raised in that area. Wow. And so we were telling him that we're like looking to do something else. And he's like, yo, just you can move in with my family in this like double gated community in this like $14 million home. <laughs> so it's like culture shock again. We're going from now, I'm going from like the hood where like... I don't know. The hood got pretty hood when we were living in the hood. <laughs> okay, so okay. Now, now we're like next door neighbors with like Logic and French Montana, like living in uh, Calabasas. And honestly, it was like an amazing like time period. But at the same time, uh, we kind of got distracted. Okay. You know, like when you're living in Calabasas, it's easy to get distracted. Whereas like when we were like the New York mindset is very like hustle, hustle, back to back meetings, like no time to waste. Whereas the West coast mindset is a little bit more like go with the flow. Right. You know, like work when you feel the energy come, but don't force anything. Right. So it's like, there's pros and cons to both. It's not that one is better than the other. Right. Uh And so after a couple months, we were just like looking at apartments and I decided to look at one in Provo and it was like half the price of anything in LA area. So we were like, okay, we had a couple big opportunities also at the time for like projects and I knew that I had a network in Utah where if we wanted to hire videographers and stuff, I got like connects here. But I don't necessarily have those connections in California. So we moved to Utah, and that was in 2018. Okay. And we've been in Utah for three years uh, doing like, we do a lot of local projects, but also a lot of our clients are like out of state. Cool. So for example, like this last weekend, we did a shoot in Vegas. And we'll just 
factor into the budget travel expenses, whether it's like LA, San Diego, New York, right. Washington. Um, so we do a lot of travel for work, but we also want to make an emphasis on like local brands, local businesses. Like, yeah. Cause I really want to in the future have Temple Mill get involved with like Silicon Slopes, like the tech scene around here. Like right. I want to like meet a lot of the tech founders, like, uh, find mentors, local mentors, um, and really, like, build in Utah. So now we're here, and, um, you know, like, the journey of running a business is literally this the entire time. Yeah. And 2020 was, like, the, I'd say, the most difficult year. And it's, like, funny because, like, I thought 2019 was the hardest year, just from, like, struggles, like, things. Okay. And then I'm going into 2020, like... 2020 is going to be dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. And then it was, like, way worse. <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> because, like, at the beginning of 2020, we started to, like, scale up our business. We went through a program called 2X with one of our clients in, like, 2019, who has, we did a series with him called Six to Seven Figures, where what he does is he'll get, like, an Airbnb, like, a mansion somewhere, He'll fly out like 15 to 20 people that pay to be part of this group. And then we'll do like a whiteboard sesh where someone will, will go one at a time. Someone will write down like their number one problem. Like if they could pay a million dollars to solve a problem. And then the whole room just like masterminds on how to solve that problem. And the goal is like getting uh, entrepreneurs from six to seven figures. Because a lot of times when they're stuck in that six figure range, they're doing a lot of the same things wrong. And so, um, in this series that we did for him, each episode highlights a different person and their journey going from like six to seven figures. And through like being a part of this program, Temple Mill went through it as well. And it just like literally was a smack to the face of what it means to like actually run a business, not just like have like a fun brand, you know, like, cause before Truman and I would just like film everything ourselves, edit it ourselves. And really, if you want to like grow a brand, you have to be able to delegate, hire out other people. And one, if you want to hire out other people, you have to be able to tell them what you want to do. And so for us, the big epiphany was this concept of creating systems and processes, which yeah. are just like checklists, essentially, that will teach you how to do a specific thing. Right. So after going through that, we started to like scale up our business, hiring team members, doing some bigger shoots, but then... COVID hits and um, is actually like a low-key miracle. We had to let go of two of our team members like a week before COVID hit, which in hindsight, like in the moment, it was like extremely difficult because like these are dudes that I like built a relationship with, like we're friends, but just like things had happened where it just wasn't a, a good fit. And um, at the time it was really hard for me because I've never had to fire someone before. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you don't, you don't think about that. Like, if you want to hire people, you also have to accept that you have to fire people as well to that's, build a good team. Like, especially, like, at the foundation of your business, those people are the most important. Right. Because they're going to show future team members what an example of a team player looks like. Right. And, like, it's like the they're wise man built his house that. upon a rock. Yeah. You know? So that foundation is super important. They're going to help you establish that culture. Yeah. For the actual company. However, in hindsight, it was like the timing couldn't have been any better because if we would have waited till after COVID hit, we would have had to 
we would have been responsible for them during the pandemic where no one is hiring videographers. Right. Everyone is quarantining. And so it's like we, we don't have projects. We don't have money to pay you, you know. So when that happened, Truman and I were like, all right, let's just like focus on ourselves and figure out what we need to get done. Yeah. And at this time, I moved back in with my parents just because like finances were tough. Our apartment was expensive. Like over the time that we were at our place, we had spent like 30 grand. At an apartment, that's down the, down the drain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was done paying rent in apartments, but I couldn't buy a house. So I just like, you know, I'm going to save money, moving with my parents for a couple months for the quarantine. And that was like a super hard transition, like moving back home, especially after like you already move out. And it was hard because I've got all these siblings that I'm like reconnecting with, you know, like they're older than they were when I left five years ago and they've changed. They've like developed into like individuals. So it was this hard thing of like having to move out again (laughs) Yeah. because I moved out the first time, move in, build a relationship again, whatever. And then moving out again the second time was like. It, probably harder than the first time because the first time it's like oh I'm going out to New York this is exciting I'm traveling yeah. like it, I didn't have to think twice really uh-huh. but then the second time it was like okay I'm gonna leave my parents house and go out into the jungle <laughs> <laughs> we're fighting mountain lions to survive out here even though you're in like the same city even though we're in the same city yeah so ended up moving into a house instead of an apartment which is like game-changing move <laughs> rent's not as expensive and we've just been like rebuilding everything from the back end throughout 2020. So it's like 2020 was like the preparation year and 2021 is like the year of attack. Right. Where it's like I've got all of this stuff that I've been working on loaded up and now it's like launch it, talk about it, yeah. find other people to who would be interested in like what you're working on. Yeah, dude. Because like a lot of people don't understand that like sales, it's not just like, yo, uh, Canon... Um, buy my phone from me for $500, uh, you're not going to buy it. Yeah, no. But sales is more like matchmaking, where you want to try and sell a phone not to someone who doesn't need it, but to someone who needs a phone right. so that that buying decision is easy for them. It's not like they have to think about it. It's like, oh, I need that. Uh-huh. And so when you think about your business in terms of matchmaking, if you're like video production, for example, is something that can get pretty pricey. Yeah. We got a team behind it. We got equipment. We need locations, a lot of time involved. And so, you know, we're not trying to make the small business owner break the bank, you know, right. we're not trying to drain their budget on a video. Mm-hmm. And so part of like this experience too, has been learning how to like identify who it is that is going to be your customer, mm-hmm. what problems they're actually facing and how you solve it, like how you actually solve it. Right. Um, and like, you know, for Bermuda, course like mental health and anxiety is a massive problem right but also like dope clothes like yeah, swaggy exactly. designs yeah like you're solving the problem of having cool clothes as well as spreading a message right and so um once we kind of shifted that mindset i feel like things started to to change and yeah. it's it's weird because like we were kind of talking about this before we started but starting a business is like failure after failure yeah it <laughs> it's really not is. easy like yeah it's like, yeah, you'll have wins, but you'll have losses. And even after being like, you have to expect at least 10 years to get to a point where maybe you're, I don't know, someone closer to your vision. But Steve Jobs has this quote that I love that says, uh, it's all the sweeter when it takes 10 years. Right. 
I'm like, <laughs> enjoy that the makes journey, me feel man. good. <laughs> enjoy the you journey. You gotta enjoy the journey and love the process. Yeah. Because if you're in it for like the short term rewards, you're not gonna be happy. Yeah. You have to learn to love, you know, designing and ordering samples. You're and, right. You know, there's this like stoic phrase that's amor fati, which means like, I love it. It's like when things get hard, like when you like spill some barbecue sauce on your J's, instead of being like, ah, I'm so sad, like you ruined my Jordans, whatever, instead having the opposite perspective of like, I love it. Like, give me more of that. Like, yeah. I'm hungry. More barbecue it's sauce on like, my J's. It's like with an understanding that you're going to fail and those failures are going to turn into lessons, it makes me want to just lean into failing. It's like, now how can I fail faster? Because the faster I can fail, the faster you can learn like how you need to shift. Like a modern business like Instagram, it didn't just launch and it was like perfect. It's like, all right, we're Instagram. They launched, they got feedback, they updated. They got feedback, they updated. Right. To the point where now it's not the same as it was. Mm-hmm. And so a business is constantly evolving. Same with like brands like Nike or I mean, every single brand. I mean, I, I guess I couldn't say every single brand because there's some brands out there that just don't change. But right. um, learning to evolve and like roll with it is all about like adapting to things and really what you're adapting to are, are like failures like we realize like oh shoot we keep you know getting screwed by clients who will not pay us the full amount or whatever and the real reason is because our contracts aren't tight and until we can learn how to get good contracts we're going to continue to hit that same roadblock roadblock with every single client and so it's like it hurts sometimes i guess like tough like this mm-hmm. this ain't easy like buckle up we're on space mountain right but yeah. at the at the end of the day it's like totally worth it like for me my goal is like i just want my whole fit to be like swagged out in temple mill like i want to have like the the creative space to be able to just like oh, i want to make an album i want to shoot a music video i want to do a podcast like it's more about having resources to just like like execute like Right. I want to build a brand where people trust that they can support me because they know that I'm going to invest that into doing bigger things. Because like at the end of the day, when someone's like giving you their money, like they're giving you their hard-earned money. Yeah. Even if it's only like five bucks, like you never know what that person did for five bucks. Right. And so having kind of like a mutual respect, like a mu- like it's like I owe it to fans of Temple Mill to be fully committed, all in, obsessed <laughs> Temple Mill. Like, I'm like the number one fan of everything that I do. Like, right. Temple Mill, our podcasts, uh, music. I've been working on music. And it's like, if you're not going to love it and be obsessed with it, why would anybody else? Yeah. So let me explain something real quick. Like, just you bringing up 2020. Uh-huh. Bermuda started in 2020, yeah. right? Like, we launched it in May, so it's almost been a year. And now that COVID's starting to, like, fade out a little Sip bit more, yeah. we're starting to see, like, real traction. Yeah. Right? Like, all of 2020 was us just adapting to stay afloat and keep things going, mm-hmm. you know, and overcome these challenges and solve problems. And now we're noticing that as COVID starts to fade out a little bit, like we're starting to realize that 2020 really was a hard year because that was the first year we started it. And so we just thought, wow, like building a business or a company is 
impossible. It's so hard to get growth, right? But <laughs> yeah. now that we're like getting out of it, we're actually starting to make crazy connections, start to get real traction. Yeah. Like for me, at least, I don't know about Brady, but like my, like a light bulb has just kind of gone off in my head within the last month or so of like, don't freak. Like 2020 was so hard. We're able to still stay afloat, make progress. Yeah. What's that going to look like when everything's up and running? You know what I mean? And well, it's super exciting. Yeah, I think it's a good thing that you started at a low point. Yeah. Because, like, to be honest, like, sometimes it felt like I started at a high point. And it makes it so that when you're down low, it makes it feel like you're losing. But if you start at a low point and you get these little wins, mm. you're winning no matter what. Yeah, dude. And so I think, like, that traction, of course, is just, like, proof of concept of what you've been doing yeah and you just got to keep at it right you know, like the hardest thing is to just like keep going right like one one of the things that's like pushed me through 2020 that I, it's like a quote that i wrote on my mirror so i would like see it every single day for years was from reading a book called shoe dog by phil knight okay founder of nike uh-huh. and he says he's just like whatever you do don't stop like he's right. like if i could give one piece of advice like whatever you do just don't stop yeah. So for me, like those two words don't stop. It's like everything, like because starting a brand, there's a level of commitment to it. You know, like you're putting your creativity out there, you're putting your reputation out there, and if you are like, I don't know, sensitive or insecure or not fully committed, it's gonna show and it's gonna affect the quality of what you make. Yeah. And so it's literally just being willing to put your ideas out into the world to be judged. Yep. That's all it is. Uh-huh. Really. Yeah. And you, we're just hoping that it sticks. Cause right? Because something, <laughs> something that's, like, really interesting is, like, you're never going to please everybody. Never. Know? Like, yeah, there, no. there are so many people that have, like, just totally contradicting opinions on things. Mm-hmm. And so it's impossible to try and please everybody. And so when, when I came to that realization, it's like, okay, I just need to focus on one, like, being myself no matter what. Because if I'm trying to be someone that I'm not, I'm going to attract people who are not like me. You know, like if I'm like trying to be like a clean version of myself or like uh, whatever, it's like that's not me. And it's honestly really hard to get comfortable just like being yourself. Yeah. But it's something that like, like a podcast is great practice, which is like talking, like talking long form and like being honest and like even the things that are like, hard to talk about sometimes those are the most important things to talk about right like mental health you know and i think especially nowadays like with technology and with quarantine and everything we've kind of been pretty unsocial yeah right and so conversation itself has just gone down yeah right and i mean even nowadays we know that like having conversation about facing your fears and overcoming anxiety no matter if it's you know second grade stage fright or like chronic anxiety attacks or things like that. Yeah. It's something that everyone experiences and it's something that nobody really wants to talk about uh-huh. because no one wants to be the outcast. No one wants to have a disability or have something wrong with their brain. Yeah. Right. And so that's why we believe so much in what we're doing here is because we're willing to cross that bridge, even though, like, we're not professionals. That's what we think yeah. the beauty of it is, is that we don't have to be professionals to talk about it. 
and we don't have to be professionals to help each other. Yeah. Right? And so that's why the podcast is centered around having, like, everyday people come in, right? Like, next week it could be, you know, my sixth grader cousin. Yeah. And just, like, ask them about the fear they overcome, and that will that could help other sixth graders out there or even anybody else that's overcoming some kind of a challenge, right? Because yeah. that's kind of what life is, is you're solving problems and you're facing the unknown and you're you're taking that that first step into the dark to see if it'll stick or not. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's definitely um, a big part of the why we're do- even doing this is, is to help other people. Yeah. yeah. So that's where the word collective comes from. That's like a team, a group of people who mm. can have the same idea and want to accomplish, you know, some the same goals. And so it's not just a clothing company, you know, it's a collective. We want you to join the team, not just be buying stuff from the outskirts. Like, like right. we, want, we want to welcome you into this collective and let's do it together. Because why not? Like, what, are the, what do we lose if we're in it together and helping each other? Right. Yeah. And so the clothes are like a symbol for your, like, commitment to help have that conversation happen more. Mm-hmm. Right, so like when you're wearing the shirts and stuff, you're saying like, "Hey, like, I I want to be able to sit down with anyone who knows, no matter who it is, and have that conversation about anxiety, no matter how deep it may be." Right, and so, I guess, to help like other people out there that'll be listening to this, like you te- you shared your story a lot about like, kind of like the overview of where you were and how you're where you are where you are now. Yeah. Right, but is there a specific moment? in that crazy story uh-huh. where you feel like the stress was so high and you didn't know if you, you had the strength to like muster through it. Yeah. Do you have like a specific, Oh, I mean there's multiple, if, but there's, there's one that I actually don't even think I've ever really like, talked about like on the internet before that I'd love to share because it was really hard for me to talk about after it first happened because, uh, so I was living in Newark, New Jersey, heart of the hood. Uh-huh. And there was a, a local kid who was from the area that would just, like, come in and hang out. And I'm not going to say his name or anything, but we were boys for a while. And, you know, he was, like, born and raised in the hood. And so when we would, like, go out, he would in- take, like, bring us to cook out to his grandma's place, introduce us to his homies. Uh, we'd, like, rap together. And, like, I mean, there were a couple times where, like, we'd be with his homies and, like, they'd have, like, guns on them. Like, we're, like, actually in the hood. And to me, it's, like, still all, like, kind of surreal. And you forget that not everyone has your same perspective, especially when it's so different from everyone else. And so there was a period of time where he had lived with us. Um, however, there was a problem with stealing, where he start like, you know, we got this expensive camera equipment. And... You know, Truman's drone got stolen and, like, some other stuff. And so Gerard had set a new rule that he wasn't allowed at, like, our house. Especially if someone wasn't there to, like, you know, be there with him. Like, the house is, like, a safe spot. And at this time, Cal was living in the basement, and then I was in a room. I was sharing a room with Truman upstairs, sleeping on air mattresses that were $8 from Walmart. $8? And, And every time the air mattress would pop... I'd go buy another one and stack it on top until eventually I had about six air mattresses that weren't even inflated at that point that I slept on. <laughs> so, Cal, this is right before an event in Miami called Art Basel. We're going out to Art Basel uh, to like 
film with Gerard and to just kind of like, I don't know, turn up. And Cal goes out there a little bit early, like a week before. Um, and it's like Truman and I are playing Call of Duty Zombies. We're chilling. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like, there's like a pounding at the door. And we're like, oh, shoot. We, let's just ignore it. We don't know who it is, but let's just ignore it because we're playing video games. Then they come around to our window, and, like, knock on a window. And I'm like, oh, it's Shaq. Uh, and whatever. <laughs> oh, it's him. And well, we can bleep it out. And I was like, I had the closest relationship with him because one, he was like a similar age to me, you know, like some of the other guys are a little bit older, you know, like in that, in that scene where we were, where I was working, like I was like the baby of the group. I was the youngest kid. Everyone that we were hanging out with were like older dudes. Even Truman was like a baby and he was like. 23 I think at okay. the time uh-huh. so I'm like alright I'll go talk to him like I, I feel like I am the most comfortable you know with him so I go to the door I open the door and he just like busts in like he's like yo why why you ignoring me blah 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 I'm like yo like you're not allowed to be here like what's up and he's like heated because we didn't let him in uh-huh. so by, when he comes in he's like already like raging and he just comes in, goes around the corner, goes downstairs into Cal's area. And I'm like, Cal's not there, and we're kind of having a little bit of trust issues right now. So I follow him down the stairs. I'm going with him. Just to like, like, I don't know what he's doing. And I didn't know this, but the night before, he had showed up at like midnight because he didn't have a place to sleep. And one of our roommates had let him in and let him sleep downstairs the night before. Uh-huh. And I wasn't aware of this. I thought that he was just showing up and going down there. So he goes down there, and he's like, I'm just trying to get my stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, Cal is in Miami. He's gone. Like, you can't be here. He's, like, unplugging stuff, knocking things over, whatever, to the point where, you know, I kind of had to, like, raise my voice a little bit. I'm like, yo, get out of here. Like, you can't be here right now. Uh And at that point, he kind of, like, turns his focus onto me, and he's, like, pissed. Mm -hmm. And he also is, like, into, like, boxing and stuff, like... And he just, like, comes up and, like, gets in my face. And again, you know, this is, like, Provo Mike Ritchie. I've, like, not really re- experienced something like this before. Right. And so he gets really close to me, so I kind of push him back like this. Uh-huh. And as soon as my hands, like, touch his chest, swings on me, knocks me to the floor. I fly back into, like, the corner of the hallway. He just comes, straddles on top of me, and just, like, is going at it. <laughs> wow. I don't even know how many punches. Truman and our other roommate had to come down the stairs, break it apart. I'm covered in blood. I go upstairs, go in the bathroom to like clean up. Meanwhile, he's going off. He's like, I'm gonna come in here, I'm gonna shoot this place, I'm gonna kill all you, blah, blah. Saying some serious stuff. Yeah. And uh, Truman was like recording the audio of all this, so we have like voice memos of like this night. Smart. Yeah. And I try calling the police, and because I have, like, a 385 number, it doesn't connect to the New Jersey Police Department. So I call Gerard. I'm like, yo, Gerard, I need you to call the police and send them over to our place. Uh, if I, like, something went down, I don't have time to talk about it, but just, like, send them over. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I got you. Does it. He comes through. The police come, and, you know, I'm, like, messed up. Right. My face is, like, clearly covered. Like, I've <laughs> just, like, been... Pounded. Yeah. I was just pounced on. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I didn't, like, press charges or anything. They just, like, took him home, and then right after, I dipped to Miami. Like, the next day. 
And I remember, like, you know, like, we're getting sushi, and I, like, can't eat the sushi, because, like, when you get punched in the face, your lip will, like, cut against your teeth. So I'm like, mm-hmm. I can, like, barely eat anything that's, like, solid, because the food will, like, hit the cuts inside of my mouth. Yeah. And, um... After that trip to Miami, I also went straight back, straight to Utah for a couple weeks for Christmas. So there was a solid, like, month or so period where I was able to, like, diffuse the situation. But after that happened, my parents were like, you need to come home. Like, you can't be out there anymore. This is too dangerous. You're going to get killed. Yeah. And I told, that was the first time I really was like, no, like, I can't. Like, I have, like, it's my mission to be out here. Like, this is my purpose like yeah i can't leave right now because they've been supportive throughout the whole process you know even though it was a little weird um they still let me make my own decision you know they gave me free will and that was like really one of the like hardest moments because i'm facing potential death you know like yeah i could straight up get killed but at the same time like this mission all these people that i'm working with are just like some of the dopest people I've ever met, you know, like, it's like people that I've never even imagined meeting. They, they were like people that felt like me, you know, like, cause growing up kind of in an area that's a little more conservative and you're a little more of an edgy person. Like there weren't a lot of people around here that I could connect with super well. Yeah. Um, and so I stayed out there, I pushed through and ultimately had, like, I also grew up struggling with like being a little bit of a hothead, you know? So I kind of had to learn to channel that anger into creativity. And we ended up, like, he apologized to me. Like, we cleared up the air. And, like, still for a while, I... I mean, I haven't, like, met with, like, a therapist or anything about it, but I felt like I struggled with, like, PTSD for a bit. Of just, like, after leaving the hood, like, just from living in the hood for so long and some of the experiences out there, you know, like... I would, we would hear like a firework and like my first, even still, like if I hear a firework, my first thought is like, are those gunshots? Mm -hmm. Because when we were living in the hood, like we would hear gunshots and then I'd look out the window and there's a group of people doing wheelies on dirt bikes, like in the purge or something. And I was like, (sighs) real, like that stuff doesn't seem real. It seems like it's just like in movies. Right. And you know, also I had a bit of a target on my back out there because I've got on $500 Jordans and a $2,000 camera set up. Yeah. So they see white boy walking around. That's an easy target. And um, luckily, I, I mean, I don't know. I made it out of their life. I'm still here. Right. But that experience really forced me to confront myself and my emotions. And it led me to this process uh, from a book called Letting Go called uh, by an author named David Hawkins. And this kind of completely shifted my perspective on a lot of things. And also with like facing fear because concepts like facing fear, it's kind of a broad topic because there's a lot of different fears. You exactly. Know? Fear can be anything from speaking to wa- even like walking into a store, like right. social anxiety. Mm-hmm. And this book talks about this process of letting go of what well, it, it, it calls them like lower level emotions. So it's like, essentially, there's a scale from zero to a thousand. Zero is like, uh, I guess it's like, you're not woke at all. (laughs) And a thousand is like, you're Jesus, you're Buddha, you're enlightened. (laughs) And within this scale, he outlines where different emotions fall. Shame, guilt, fear are all low, like 20, 40, 100, 200. But then as you get to higher levels, there's like, you know, 
pride, even like happier emotions, like this process of letting go. It's about letting go of everything, not just the bad things, but the good things as well, to be able to open up your mind and your world to new ideas. You have to let go of old ideas to accept new ideas. But it was talking, it talks about fear and like letting go of fear. And that, to me, that was like a little bit of a weird concept. Like, how do you like let go of a fear? And Truman is a bookworm. He loves reading okay. and he's really good at like teaching something. And so we were like chilling outside of our apartment and he's like teaching me the principles of this book. And he's like, do a standing backflip right now. I'm like, I've never done a standing backflip like on the grass. He's like, well, you can do a backflip on skis. You can do it off of a power box. You can do it on a trampoline with your eyes closed. Like, you know that you can backflip, so why can't you do a standing backflip right now? I was like, well, I mean, I'm afraid that I'm not going to jump high enough and I'm, I'm going to like land on my toes, like break my toes or something like that. And he's like, okay, well, so why do you have that fear? He's like digging deeper. I was like, well, my dad, when he was younger, would always tell me not to do backflips because when he was like 18, did a backflip, broke his toes. And so he's like, all right, so now you need to understand that that's true for your dad, but that's not true for you. Your perspective says otherwise that you could totally do a backflip. And he's like, so what's stopping you? And I was like, really, I guess just like all in my head. He's like, let go of all those ideas. Like now that you kind of can get to the root of where that fear comes from, understand that that's not rational. It doesn't make sense. Like that's not real. So let go of that. And I was like... All right, and then <laughs> I did it. I did a standing backflip. Right there? And the first time... Wait, it, like right there? Right there. Like in that exact moment after never do doing it before. And the first time, exactly what I was afraid of that would happen, happened. <laughs> Where I didn't go around all the way. And my I kind of like landed on like the tops of my feet, you know, where you kind of like fall onto your face. And I got up and I was like, I'm fine. <laughs> my toes aren't broken. And he's like, Truman was like, all right, so exactly what you were afraid of happened and you're alive. Like, what's the worst case scenario? Like, you know you'll get over your head. You're not going to break your neck. So do it. And I was like, at that point, I'm like, wow, I just, I've never like, I, I attempted it. Yeah. And I got pretty close. And so uh, I, like, played some music. I was listening to, like, uh, Brockhampton, like, something that could like, get me, like, hyped. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then I did a backflip, landed it, and then I just, like, back-to-back -back did, like, three in a row. And landed all of them. Just, like, landed it, boom, landed it, boom, boom. And... That was like crazy to me because it shows how much your mind holds you back yeah. versus what you can actually do. And the thing about overcoming fear and letting go of fear is it's like a snowball. Yeah. Once you do one, it's like, okay, wait, what are the other things that I have irrational fears? To the point where eventually it gets to a point where you can become fearless. And for me, it was like, all right, the backflip. Then I was like at the skate park. I grew up skating at the Provo Plaza. And kind of like the centerpiece of that skate park is this like three block. Uh, it's like bigger than stairs, but each stair is like maybe the size of this like coffee table thing. Okay. Um, and I've, I'd never like really done anything off of it because when I was like a kid, it looked way bigger than it is when you're like grown up. And so I go there and I'm just like, all right, I've never done this before, but I can kickflip on flat ground. I can kickflip while rolling. Why, why would I not be able to kickflip off of this? And it took like 10 hard slams. <laughs> like I was like eating it to the point where it's like the last one. I'm like, dude, I, if I don't land this one, I'm not going to get it. Like I, it's, I'm like physically hurting so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Hit it and I stuck the landing and I landed it. Like the first time I've ever done 
like a kickflip off, off of something that big before. And so they started just like compounds and really for me, like what changed the game was if you can understand your fear, think it through rationally, mm -hmm. um, it really helps to like overcome like something. Like That's maybe awesome. you feel social anxiety going to a store because you're afraid of, I don't know, what someone judging what you're wearing or whatever, but it's like other people's thoughts <laughs> mean nothing. They're not real. Uh, even your own thoughts, like, it can be deceiving, you know? Like, the voice in your head will talk sh a lot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> voice in my head is mean to me sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And honestly, it's like, it's like the critic, you know? It's mm. like, I'm sure you face it with a lot of your art, especially, like, the early phases when you're just, like, you don't really have any feedback or anything, really. And getting to that point where you don't care what people think uh, is, like, game changer yeah because there's these things called limiting beliefs that everybody has and they're just like beliefs you have about yourself that hold you back from all sorts of things yeah and the truth is like us as humans we're always changing even i don't remember the exact like fact or whatever but you like physically regenerate your body every like two or three months because your cells die off and you rebuild new cells so you're physically a i'm a different person than i was when i was 15 or whatever and with that people say like oh uh i'm a virgo and that means that you know i'm uh super clumsy and it leads them to like lean into it they're like oh because i'm a and they start to act more like what they think not to like bash on astrology because it's like a pretty interesting topic right but that's just an example of how you can have a belief about yourself that will hold you back and like another example uh that like Truman shared with me that's like really hit home was he always believed that he was a shy individual and that held him back in situations because he would tell himself he's shy and so he wouldn't necessarily like speak up or like and when we would like talk about it and as he like you know we develop more confidence on your artistic journey thought it through rationally it's like maybe other people perceive you as shy but the only reason why is maybe because you just think before you speak you don't like just like, me, I can just, like, open up my filter and just talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Truman is extremely thoughtful, and what he says can be really powerful because he thinks about it. And he interpreted that as being shy. And as he got older, he understood, wait, I can speak in front of large groups of people. Like, Truman's a really strong leader, and for me, he's been more of, like, a mentor because... Mentors are so powerful, especially when you can find, like, specific ones. Like, if you can find a mentor who started, like, a clothing brand in Provo, but they're 20 years farther on their journey, they're going to be able to give you some amazing advice that someone maybe who owns Chick-fil-A, yeah, they're a successful business owner, but it's not going to help you. Right. So finding specific mentors, and also there's, like, different levels of mentors. Like, Truman is maybe five years older than me, so it's like really he's a lot closer to be able to like, give me really good advice but then there's also 30 40 year old people who maybe they can't tell you like what your next step should be but they can help you point you they can help point you in the right direction mm -hmm. yeah that's so really cool. i don't know like the network effect people around you it makes a world of a difference like just having like good vibes good energy like positive energy yeah it's like what are you if you want to just simplify it in the most simple terms are you about positivity or negativity? 
And for me, there's too much negativity going on for me to just, like, contribute to that. Right. And so I'm just trying to just, like, spread positivity. And I definitely get those vibes from you guys, too. Like, it's not like merch says, uh, Hail Satan. Yeah. Or anything uh, dark. Like, these colors. Like, I love that shade of green right there. Especially with the red. Like, normally you see green and red together, and it makes you think Christmas. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't make me think Christmas. (laughs) So I think that's a pretty dope accomplishment. (laughs) Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that was actually the idea behind that one, is that we sold it around Christmas time. Uh So it, like, could have the vibes, but also... You could wear it in July. You could wear it in July. You could wear it in Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that's legit. Cool. Yeah, man, I really appreciate what you've brought to the table today and I think you really hit it on the head like that's why we're doing this is we're trying to build, build that collective of people yeah that can really get to know what the Bermuda Collective is all about and why we're doing this and I think you brought a lot of great content to the table where people will be able to relate with that and use that to progress totally. right and to face more unknowns so I really appreciate you coming by today and yeah. And sharing your stories. And Thanks yeah. for having me on. Some, of course. Some solid golden nuggets in here. 100%. We hope people can uh, apply and actually take to, to heart and, and change. Yeah, so. for sure. Yeah, something I feel like I'm uh, like always saying on my podcast, which also if anyone wants to check out, we did one with Canyon. Yeah, we and did. And it'd be dope to do one with you. Like you two and then me and Truman, I think would be like a dope conversation. I'm down, yeah. always. But and we could have Truman come by. Yeah, have Truman too. come here, do another one of these. Yeah. But like... <laughs> podcasting uh for me is just about like keeping it real yeah and like i'm not an expert like sometimes i have to catch myself because it starts to feel like i'm like preaching or whatever because i i have to like motivate myself so i'm constantly telling myself like you can i have to be my own cheerleader like my journal is just full of like you can do it you got this whatever and so so cool (laughs) i don't want people to perceive this as like me trying to like push push any beliefs or anything like that uh if i could spread one message it's like be yourself a hundred percent. So I feel like I just want to, I'll leave it with that. <laughs> no, yeah, and that's what's cool about it is that we're all just normal people sharing what helps and works for us and it allows people to take that and apply it to themselves. Yeah. Because for me, growing up in high school, like, I always had, like, this anxiety and, like, fear and I didn't know what to do about it. Like, I did not want to go to my parents because they had enough on their table and, yeah. again, I didn't want to be... I didn't want anything to be wrong with me. And so I pushed it to the side and I didn't do anything about it, right? And uh-huh. so then I started to just, instead of actually taking care of it, I used to just go and hang out by myself mm. just to decompress. Yeah. And that's when, like, Brady came into the picture and really started, like, helping me, like, overcome that, face that fear of the social anxiety and worrying about what people are thinking, you know, am I going to be successful in life? You know, there's a lot of stuff you face in high school and especially in our age we're growing up and maybe when we're older, I don't know yet, right? But that's why it's called Bermuda is because I'd go off the map, off the grid. Yeah. Bermuda Triangle sort of a thing. And so that's where this all comes from and we're just trying to build, you know, that community of people, so. Yeah. That's so dope. So, Obviously, we're still very much in the uh, startup phase of this, and yeah. we're excited to see our failures and learn from them and yes. see where we end up in the year from now. Yeah. Keep going. Don't stop. 100%. Yeah, dog. Cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Check out Mikey Richardson. 
on Instagram at Temple Mill Productions, right? Yeah. Well, it's just at Temple Mill at or Temple Mill. at Mike's Matrix is kind of like my art. You know, I've got like, I also have at Mike Richie. This is like a personal. If you want to see like selfies. <laughs> there you but go. But if you want to see like the projects, like the stuff that I work on at Mike's Matrix or at Temple Mill. Check him out. He's a cool dude. Well, hey, thanks, homie. Till next time, face the unknown, everyone. All right, sick.